Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 159 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining me for this interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, I'm graced with the presence of beverage industry virtuoso Elaine Duff, who has held mixology and brand management roles with tiny little companies you've probably never heard of, like Diageo and Anheuser-Busch. Elaine is here to share with us an exciting new cane spirit from Belize called Copali Rum. But before we start talking about sustainable distilling practices, howler monkeys, and sugarcane terroir, let's take a quick pause so that you can make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail is the El Presidente. To make it, you'll need one and a half ounces of white rum, one and a half ounces of French vermouth, I'll explain what that means in a second. One bar spoon of orange curacao or Grand Marnier. In a pinch, you could use triple sec here. And one half bar spoon of real grenadine, like Pratt Standard's True Grenadine, which you can purchase from our e-commerce store over at modernbarcart.com. Combine these ingredients in a mixing beaker with ice, stir for about 20 seconds until they're well chilled and integrated, then strain into a stemmed cocktail glass and garnish with an orange twist. One of the cool things about the El Presidente is that it resembles so many of the classic stirred cocktails that reigned supreme before and during Prohibition, especially in places outside of the US where foreign ingredients remained widely available. But it's a surprisingly tricky drink to balance. The key, it seems, is to use the right vermouth. David Wondrich, who comes up later in this episode, writes that most people who think of French-style vermouth the kind stipulated in the early recipes for the El Presidente, think of dry white vermouth that's often used in martinis. However, there is a different style called vermouth de chambry, spelled C-H-A-M-B-E-R-Y, or blanc vermouth. And this is both sweeter and more full-bodied than the classic dry style, which is certainly what you need to use in the El Presidente. House Dolan carries a delicious and affordable bottle of this white vermouth, and I believe Martini and Rossi also launched one in the past couple years, so you have a few options on most liquor store shelves. Now, when it comes to rum, it's important to note here that the El Presidente was popularized in Cuba, which has a very unique rum-making tradition that differs significantly from other places in the Caribbean. But if you can't faithfully source Cuban rum, don't despair. Simply look for a white rum that has good body, something luscious, juicy, and maybe a little funky. And this might require you to change the way you think slightly because, in my opinion, most Americans associate body in spirits with barrel aging or with certain types of grain-based mash bills. But if you're able to kick that habit, maybe revise your thinking against that notion, and seek out a bottle of unaged cane spirits with a little bit of attitude, like the Copali rum we taste during this interview, 
I think you'll be completely hooked. So now that you've got another classic cocktail to add to your repertoire, let's turn our attention back to the interview. In this conversation with Copali Rum Global Brand Ambassador Elaine Duff, some of the topics we discuss include the story of Copali Rum as a philanthropic project by marine conservationist Todd Robinson and how he teamed up with chef Anya Fernald to create Copal Tree Lodge. How Elaine and her fellow global brand ambassador, Julie Reiner, are educating bartenders and home consumers about the magic of Copali rum here in the U.S. Which cane varietals, fermentation decisions, and sustainable distilling practices influence the flavor of Copali rum, both the white and barrel-rested varieties? Some thoughts on the perfect daiquiri and how you can modulate the booze and sugar in the drink to achieve the ideal wash line and flavor profile for you. A cautionary tale about the utter folly of comparing spirits aged in different climates, why I think we need to coin the term monkey's share, and much, much more. Elaine is a wealth of knowledge, and the samples of Copali rum we taste during this interview are super exciting, especially at such an affordable price point. So if you happen to live in one of the states where Copali is available, I hope you'll request it at your favorite rum bar or liquor store. You can learn more about Elaine and what she's up to by visiting DuffOnTheRocks.com, tuning into her weekly beverage news podcast, The Industry Distilled, or by following her on Instagram at DuffOnTheRocks. One quick correction before we dive in. Early on in the interview, I make a mistake by saying that the Clover Club bar in New York has closed. It is not. I was thinking of the Pegu Club bar, which is closed, so please pardon the mistake. And with that, it's my pleasure to present this excellent tasting and interview with everyone's favorite spirits guru, Elaine Duff. Elaine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, me too. I'll be honest, me too. So why don't we just start off by giving folks a little bit about who you are and what you do, because you actually, you have a, a pretty extensive bio in this space. Um, so why don't you just give us, give us the highlights? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep it short. So I've been in the business for over 20 years. So the spirits business, uh, I worked for the two largest drinks company in the world. I worked for Diageo for about 17 years of my career. So the majority of my career. I worked from various positions, from working on events to launching brands to becoming their first ever uh, luxury spirits brand ambassador for the country, as well as their first ever mixologist, like their corporate mixologist. Uh, Did that for almost, uh, I think it was like 13 or 14 of those 17 years uh, working for them. Uh, which was amazing. Uh, uh, took me around the globe and got me on TV uh, quite a few times. And, uh, you know, I then took a dip into the beer world. I went over to the beer industry. I got recruited by Anheuser-Busch, who created a new startup division called ZX Ventures, and they thought they were going to revolutionize the craft beer industry. Um, so I did that for about three years. I did not enjoy it, uh, and uh, but learned a lot. And then I started my own company. So now I have Duff on the Rocks. And uh, Duff on the Rocks, we focus on strategy, sales, and education for brands. Totally, and I have a podcast. Totally, uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Tell us about the podcast, because this was news to me. So I have a podcast called The Industry Distilled. It's with myself and Jason Luttrell. And we just, I basically, I love audiobooks. And I just said to myself one day, it would be so great if somebody just summed up all the industry news and I could listen to it audio on audio. 
So I realized I'm just going to have to do it. So I started reading all the industry news and we consolidate it down uh, to like eh, five to 10 stories that we think are really relevant from the week before and what you should be aware of. And then it's called the industry is still and we give every Friday, you'll see it on all your podcast channels. So it's a lot of fun. That's awesome. Uh, I'm actually on the newsletter for that. So I was aware of it. I just, um, <laughs> I just didn't realize that it was that it was you and Jason. Okay, that that's awesome. So now, um, not only is it in my queue, it's going to be the next thing I listen to. So that's fantastic. fantastic. Um, <laughs> so we're here to talk about kind of a cool project, which is uh, a new rum brand that uh, we're bringing to market here, specifically you and Julie Reiner, and uh, it's called Copali Rum. So why don't you just give us um, a little bit of the background on, on Copali, and I guess um, we'll go from there. Yeah, you know, it was interesting, like, you know, when this project came to me, I, I you know, looked at the rum, and, you know, as being in this business for a long time, you do get, I had the I guess the the pleasure of like being picky and be like, you know, I won't work on every brand if I don't believe in it and how it's produced or their policies about sustainability or about diversity. And when Kapali was first presented to me, I and I was like, wow, this is incredible. This, this company's not only uses sustainable practices, but they're zero impact uh, distillery. Uh, they are all about giving back to the Belizean community. Um, that's their biggest belief. The owner, uh, Todd Robinson, is all about the Belizeans and giving back and, and uh, helping them. Uh, and thankfully, the liquid's also great as well. So, you know, just using <laughs> three ingredients. So uh, I was like, thank goodness. Whew. Uh, you know, just using, you know, as you I know, you know, sugarcane, yeast and water. I mean, it really is just a delicious rum. And then getting to work with Julie Reiner, who's been a dear friend of mine for years. As we all know, she's an amazing mixologist and, you know, bar operator. And I'm excited to work with her. So we were both, we both called each other up. I was like, yeah, this is amazing. So uh, we both love the rum. We both love working together. So, so far it's been fantastic. Great partnership. Really balance each other mm -hmm. out. Yeah. And for our listeners who aren't maybe uh, familiar with Julie Reiner, she's obviously, you know, super famous in New York for bars like, you know, the Clover Club and and a number of other projects. Um, that one unfortunately had to close recently, um, but that's sort of par for the course right now with a lot of places uh, in, in major metro areas. But um, I correct but you yeah, one so thing. Sorry, I'm just going to correct. It's Flatiron Lounge that closed. So oh, really? Flatiron Lounge, which was with uh, which was with Audrey Saunders, that closed. Um, they made an announcement a few months back, uh, and they were always that their lease was coming up. But Clover Club still alive and well. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, well, good. Uh, Clover Club still alive and well. She's doing tons of to-go cocktails, and and she's working her tail off, to, you know, keeping that place in business. And they have an outdoor uh, location. You know, they're doing what everybody in New York is, which is scrambling, and they have outdoor space. And then they have Lyenda across the street, uh, which she does with Ivy Mix. So yeah, no, Julie is mm -hmm. fantastic, and she knows so much about rum. I'm actually learning some stuff from her because her mixology. I'm a good mixologist. Julie Reiner is an amazing mixologist and she really loves rum. It's been her passion for a long time. So tiki drinks uh, or her Hawaiian style drink because she's from Hawaii is her thing. So it's been a great collaboration between the two of us. For sure. So moral of the story, don't let a DC guy tell you anything about the New York cocktail scene because <laughs> I'll probably probably tell you the wrong thing. Hey. So 
global brand ambassadors. So you are sort of like splitting up the the responsibilities of taking this rum brand to the world. Is there some sort of division of labor? Uh, is she focusing more on tiki drinks and you're focusing more on other aspects? Like what what's the what does it look like when you two kind of split up the responsibilities of of getting this on on people's radar? It's an interesting question because it's not our full time job. Obviously, we both have our own companies. I have my own company. She has hers, and definitely with with COVID happening, it really is a really smaller part-time role because we can only do so much. As hopefully things go back some, at some point, uh, we'll be at trade shows, speaking at trade shows together. We'll be doing uh, bartender initiatives. Uh, you know, We'll be doing guest bartending shifts. We'll be doing a lot more education live. So for now, the division of labor is, you know, it's sometimes it's cocktails. Like today, right now, Julie is shooting uh, cocktails uh, at her bar. Uh, with uh, the photographer because she was like, Elaine, I can do this banging, you know, with my team here two hours at the bar, no read for you to like risk coming on a subway and whatever. So she's doing that while I'm doing this. So it's like, there's a divide of education sometimes about uh, like I, we have an Instagram story coming out about all things rum and rum one-on-one facts. So I took those on where Julie took on the story of doing more like garnishes. So we kind of divide like where our strengths are and information. I'm a little bit more of a nerd when it comes to facts and she's more of a uh, uh, expert when it comes to, to cocktails. So it's like the two of us together mm. balance each other out. That's fantastic. It's great to have a, a solid partner in in the initiative. And, um, you know, there's a lot to talk about with Kopali, um, which I should probably just give folks the spelling right now because I actually misspelled it the first time I sent an email. It's C-O-P-A-L-L-I, two L's and an I at the end. Yep. And I think this might be a good time to ask about uh, something called the Kopal tree or the Kopal tree. Yes, so the copal tree is is native to Belize and is what the brand is named after. Um, that's kind of it. It's not a really long story. It's just it's just that this is <laughs> it, it, it's a tree. It grows in uh, Belize, so they wanted to stay true to their roots. Uh, they wanted to obviously to have the brand tied back to um, the. Belize itself. So the actual rum is distilled on Kapal uh, tree farm, right? So that's where the Kapal tree grows. And within it, there's also the Kapali uh, uh, canopy. Sorry, I'm going to say this. I want to make sure I say this correctly because there is a uh, the Kapal tree lodge. Uh, so mm-hmm. and in this lodge, if you don't mind, I'll tell the story. Please. Okay. So the way this brand came about was in 2005. So there's a gentleman named, uh, he's the co-founder of the Kapali Rum Distillery. His name is Todd Robinson. And Todd happens to be uh, a marine conservatist. You know, he's very much about marine life. And he spent much of his adult life uh, basically working to support efforts to preserve the Belizean uh, barrier reef, right? So he really loves everything I've heard about him. He loves Belize. He loves Belizean people. So he bought the Kapal Tree Lodge. So it already existed, but he bought it and he bought all the surrounding area around it. And then he partnered up with a restaurateur named Anya Fridman. I'm going to pronounce her name correctly. Fernald. Sorry, Anya Fernald, who happens to be a restaurateur. 
she owns a restaurant called Balcampo, and he wanted to be able to grow the food to sustain the restaurant on the property itself. So she came in uh, to help uh, set that up, and they also wanted to be able to provide the rum for the bar, right? So one thing led to another. They really decided that like, they really loved the idea of making their own rum, and the project kind of exploded. And then they decided to create a sustainable distillery right there next to the farm. And then Kampali Rum was born. So there you go. That's fantastic. You know, it's basically yeah. it's like all a good effort, keep things sustainable, to support the people around them. And they produce an entire distillery. And it's been producing rum since 2018. Wow, that is awesome. So they've had, I, I like this, you know, I, I like to understand the timeline of these sorts of things, because it tells you a lot about things like a go to market strategy, right? Well, they've been making it since 2018. That means they've had a couple of years to get their process down to really, you know, make sure that the workflow um, can sustain uh, scale and, um, and also make sure that the sustainability initiatives are actually sustainable. Um, so I, I like to hear that. I like to hear that it's not just like a bam, you know, within six months, we're trying to push this no. everywhere in the world. Um, and, you know, another thing that's interesting to me about the idea of um, the Copal Tree Lodge is that it seems like a really vertically inter uh, integrated situation where you've got this uh, this property, this hospitality place where I'm, I'm assuming tourists uh, come to visit here and then they get to stay. They have they can enjoy not only the accommodations and the food, but also, you know, the rainforest mm -hmm. and, and all the um, great touristy stuff that you can do there. Um, and then you've got this, um, you know, the sustainable rum initiative that is also, you know, feeding these people and these restaurants, um, with product. So I, I, I love vertically integrated systems. I love sustainable <laughs> systems. And it just sounds like this is sort of almost the best of both of those worlds. It really is. The one thing I fell in love with this company is, you know, I've worked with a lot of brands and, you know, I've worked with some of the biggest companies I have worked for the two biggest companies in the world. And, you know, I don't think many companies don't have this luxury of taking their time and the only word i get simply they're not greedy it is really literally i've never these are the least greedy people i've ever met but greedy it's like i don't i want to call other people greedy it's it's more that it, it, they just want to do it right it's like they're not in a rush they want to make sure whatever they put into place is the right way of doing it they want to make sure they are including people. They want to make sure they're giving back. They're not in a rush to make it, you know, to put it out there in the world. You know, Todd Robinson, from what I know, he, he likes to, he doesn't like to be on the forefront, but as far as I know, he's an extremely wealthy man and he very much is about giving back. That's all he does. So for him, this is a project of being able to give back to the Belizean community and to produce a delicious rum. And so they really want to do it right and they're going to do it slowly um, and I think that's what Julie and I love about them. We're like, wow, I've never met people like this before who aren't just like, sell, sell, sell. They're like, no, let's take our time, do it the right way. So it's very exciting. It's really, really, I really believe in the brand and what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. Now, I, I think that most of our listeners who are somewhat familiar with rum will be familiar with a few different styles. You might be familiar with, of course, you know, the epic Jamaican funky rums. You might be familiar with the Guyanese rums. You might be familiar um, with, you know, rums from Dominica or some of the other islands out there. Uh, but uh, Belize, to me, it's, it's not like a big player in the rum space. So I guess my next question is, is there a Belizean style of rum? Um, and is there 
I guess if there's not, what is the style of Copali rum, knowing that cane spirits just offer this vast array of options when it comes to the decisions in the distillation process. Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. I mean, rum is like, there's a lot of different styles out there. And within Belize, so Belize, uh, the one thing that Todd and Anya found is that Belize has a history of cane growth. So they, it grows there naturally. Um, they decided to set up a cane farm right there, uh, a sugar cane farm right there on their uh, property itself. Uh, so they wanted to, uh, the style of rum that they're using is they do a, a type of rum agricole. Now, rum agricole, if it's spelled with R-H-U-M, is a French rum agricole, uh, which is the people, they kind of, that's the, they legally, I don't know if it's legal or they kind of own that domain. Um, so we are a agricole style of rum, which basically means uh, we take the sugar cane, uh, we crush it, we take this, we go straight to the juice, we distill only the juice. Where if some other rums, like a more funkier style of rum, like a Jamaican rum, will be using molasses, right? Which is the byproduct mm-hmm. after you've made sugar. So for this, this is a more of a rum agricole style. And for those of you listening, might not be familiar with what that means. Basically, when you distill just the cane juice, um, you'll get more notes that are a little more vegetal, they're a little more grassy, um, it has a little more funk to it. Um, but what's different about the cane that they're using, they use two particular types of cane. I think it's a, a red cane and, a, and I'm going to look now. It's, there's two different types because cane, I did, and I learned this for the very first time and so did Julie Reiner, was that you can choose which cane um, you want to uh, for your rum. And each cane has a different flavor profile, which makes sense, right? It's mm-hmm. like, think about like raw materials all have uh, different types of uh, profiles. So for them, they are using a black cane and a red cane. Um, and each one of them has their own unique flavor profile. And they're all about sustaining the flavor or amplifying the flavor of the cane itself and the juice. So they take that cane, specifically that flavor, they tried out multiple different ones, they grow it, they harvest it once a year, crush it, take the juice, uh, ferment it for up to four days. Um, and the one thing I found interesting is that they also, they they use for like four or six hours, they use the natural yeast from the cane itself to start the fermentation process because um, they really mm-hmm. want to preserve that flavor. And then they add in commercial uh, yeast because I'm assuming it's because it just speeds up the process and it's more controlled. Uh, and then from there, it goes into the stills. And they actually use two different types of stills. Uh, they use uh, pot stills, uh, very small uh, pot stills uh, for the rusted rum. And then they use a column and a pot for their white rum. So it adds, yeah, so it adds a lot more complexity to it. Sorry, I think we went off. Oh, yeah, no, that's... <laughs> No, that's fantastic. That is, um, that's a really cool thing to note. I mean, I've, I've been the, the first time I was made aware that there are differences in, in cane flavor profiles was when, um, I interviewed Chase Babcock, who, um, is the, the driving force behind, um, St. Benevolent's Claren out of Haiti. And he, he mentioned that there were different cane types that they chose and I, I really think that that is probably the future for rum because when we think of when we think of sugar, we think of a taste, not a flavor, right? The five tastes on on the mouth, mm-hmm. uh, on, on the tongue, being you know we we think sweet sugar, sweet sugar taste. But when we think sugar, we don't always think flavor, and you know all the 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 subtle uh, aromatic nuances that that brings. So that is that's super interesting. And just as you described the process, another thing that really um, struck me as, as a, a 
kind of a, a green flag, not a red flag, whatever the opposite of a red <laughs> flag is, is that that the fact that they, they let those native yeasts do their work for a little while um, so that they kind of can establish that foothold in the fermentation process before, I guess, they, they, they turbocharge it with the, the commercial yeast to just get the job done. Um, so I, I really love that. I, I think it says like, hey, we care about process. We're, we're trying to be efficient here. Uh, but we're also going to let the let the terroir of the the surrounding rainforest that they obviously care deeply about penetrate into that product so that we get to taste it and experience it. So yeah, I think that's fantastic. And it actually adds a little bit because of that canes, like those particular canes, and because of you know they're using natural yeast from Belize, it, it does have a different flavor. So a lot of rum agricoles, I always say, and I love I love rum agricoles. They have a little bit more of a funk and like almost like a gasoline, I hate to say it, like a rubber, kind of like a burnt rubber kind of note to it, mm-hmm. which people, if you're not in the rum world, might be like, ew, but it's actually really lovely. This is actually, it works in cocktails, but this is softer. This is like, there is something about the mm-hmm. rum. It doesn't have that burnt rubber kind of nose to it. It has more of the grassy vegetal. Um, and it just, you know, it's just a really pleasant and it's a little bit sweeter. Um, and I really love it. It just, it really works so well in, in cocktails. It's a great balance of flavors. Are you smelling some right now? <laughs> yeah, so I've got the uh, I've got the white here. I poured myself uh, a taster of the white, and I'm nosing it right now. And uh, <laughs> I'll be honest, uh, my approach to rums is whenever I can uh, taste the the white distillate first, I always do that. And obviously, you just mentioned that there's some uh, production differences between the white and the barrel yes. rested. So we'll get to that when we when we pour the barrel rested. But um, but as far as the white. You know, the first thing I did when I got when I received these bottles is I just I popped that white that white open and took a took a big old whiff and it was it was just an exciting moment because I agree it is it's it's soft it's not it doesn't have those those notes that you would also find in some of like the Isla or Orkney scotches with mm-hmm. like you said iodine. like the rubber or they can the, have like iodine rubber of, yeah it's got, which is like it's such an odd tasting note or a nose but it's so true it's like that's what you, that's my description of it it's like kind of aggressive but it's lovely yeah um, yeah this is a little bit yeah. softer. One of the things that I get as I as I know this is almost like a petrichor smell, which which is one of my favorite words to describe a wine or a spirit. Um, and, and what it means is it, it's the smell after a, after a rain, especially after a rain on a warm day, where you get um, it, it's actually comprised of all the microorganisms and all the stuff that literally is the terroir of wherever you are. Um, so uh, you know, having been to Tales of the Cocktail a bazillion times, <laughs> I'm sure that you could probably call up a sensory memory of the petrichor. Petrichor from Bourbon Street, which is an <laughs> awful petrichor. It's not good. Um, but when I smell this, I almost, you know, I'm sitting here looking at this beautiful, um, this beautiful label with all the foliage from the copal tree. I smell this. I'm, it's almost like I, I'm imagining myself in Belize just after a fresh rain, mm-hmm. and uh, I've got a bartender mixing me up a daiquiri. And so it is just. Oh, I look forward to. Wait, hey, I'm sure smell. like you do. I look forward to traveling one day, and I look forward to actually getting to. Belize to the rainforest. That was the first thing Julie and I were supposed to uh, to do. And obviously with COVID, we could not. Um, and thinking about you were saying about after the rain, it rains 200 inches a year in Belize. That is a lot of rain. That's how they're able to use the canopy water to actually uh, to bring down the proof of the rum itself. So it's actually all mm-hmm. using uh, the water uh, from the actual rain that they capture off the canopies. Which I thought was pretty. Do you have any sense? 
Uh, do you have any sense of how they actually capture that from the canopies? No. <laughs> I wish I did. It's a great question. And I'm going to find it. I'm sure somebody does, but I, I don't know, actually. Um, I, I, I never asked that question. I just was like, oh, it captures the rain, the, the water off the canopies. Um, but yeah, no. <laughs> but I'm going to find out for you because that is a good one. I'm, I'm assuming it's a very well set up process, whatever it is. In a place where there's 200 inches of rain a year, I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's going to be a big issue. If this was uh, if this was part of Oaxaca where they're where they're uh, struggling to get water, it would be one thing. Uh, but I think I think in a place where it rains that much, they're not going to have any issue being able to proof it down with something um, something natural. So that's great. Um, All I got was they capture the water that lands on the roof. So basically, as the water kind of comes down, so I do have a little information. So basically, as the water falls, it like flows down the roof, and they put up tanks to capture it off the roof because what i've been mm -hmm. told is this is the one thing i do I really, it's like it, rain falls in like a deluge like it's like woof, like mm -hmm. you don't want to be outside like it will hurt like it comes down so literally it hits the roof and then it comes off the roof and they literally capture it off the roof obviously they filter it before it goes into the room itself so they don't get any of the bits but yeah that's that's uh that's what they do so it's captured yeah. off the roof so so a couple other details here, just from the label. Um, this is 42%. Uh, so we've got uh, 84 proof, which which I think is nice uh, because, you know, everything on the shelves is, you know, when you go to a liquor store, it's 40, 40, 40, 40. Sometimes I get a 45, sometimes I get a 50. Uh, but 40, 42 is interesting to me because it's it, you get just that kiss of heat. And um, to me, when, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at a white rum here, the first thing that comes to mind, obviously, is a daiquiri. Um, and I, I'm sort of looking for just that little bit extra in that daiquiri. Um, so with, with the white rum, um, you know, I, I imagine that's probably what you're pushing most. But uh, are there other interesting applications for this? How are people thinking about this and, and using the flavor profile to create interesting cocktails? Uh, you know, obviously the daiquiri, you know, right? So we got our classic, which is our favorite. And and just, you know, like I asked, I'm doing about the proof. You're right. It's one of the things it's like I asked our distiller, Ed, I was like, why 42 and why 44 for the age? And he said, you know, that was just the one where they got the most flavor, like, you know, anything less than that, they mm -hmm. weren't getting the full flavor of the rum. So it's just, you know, they distilled to that and they're like, that's what just gave the perfect balance of all the flavor. Um, so for me, it's like interesting. It's like I always start off with any new product. I always start off with the classics. Right. So trying in the classics uh, for myself, it's like I tried a daiquiri, uh, you know, and because this is the interesting part. I don't know if you noticed this, but most consumers have no idea what a daiquiri is. They think of it as the frozen drink they get on the, on the on, when they're out. I mean, maybe people listening to this because they're into cocktails or might well know, but I still I meet bartenders. I mean, that's how I actually started testing bartenders, and I know that's a terrible thing to say. I'm testing bartenders, but if I sit at a new bar and I'm not sure when I used to be able to sit at a bar, uh, and I wasn't sure like if the, how the bar you know how do they operate like you know were they making good drinks, I would ask them if they could make me a daiquiri. And if the first question was, and believe me, this happens more than not, I don't have a blender, then I know I just get a beer and a shot. And I was shocked yep. at how many bartenders that I met, not, you know, obviously people working at hardcore mixology bars, but regular bartenders who just were never taught the daiquiri. And it's such a simple cocktail. So I'm hoping it's one mm -hmm. as it was one that we talked about with Kapali. I was like, I think we should really 
capture this and really talk about it a lot. Like, you know, what goes into a daiquiri? Like it's generally two ounces of white rum, right? Some people make it higher. They put three ounces and make a really boozy, uh, white, but I use two ounces of white rum, half an ounce of rich, simple syrup, which is basically, as you know, um, two times the amount of sugar than mm-hmm. water and then one ounce of lime juice, right? So that's just my classic formula. So mm-hmm. two, one half, uh, it's so simple, shaken, uh, served up, uh, in the summertime, though, I do like to serve it over like one ice cube. Uh, and I did a little twist. I love a lot of my, I like drinks spicy. So I actually threw in a jalapeno, mm. uh, shook it up with a jalapeno. If the jalapeno is not that hot, I actually crush mine and then shake it up and then just serve it over uh, either up or over ice. And I just love it. It's fantastic. Nice. And with the age one, I made a Negroni. Because it just, you know, I was like, like, it doesn't, it didn't really work for an old fashioned. I really, and I love Negronis. And so I was like, I made a Negroni, but I found this, there's a nice like vanilla note, I guess, from the the, uh, Mm -hmm. barrels. And I really wanted to enhance that. And it has like a, almost like a cacao note to it. So I just put a little dash of chocolate bitters. Mm. So it just really, Mm. yeah, it just like a Scrappy's chocolate bitters, like two dashes. It really enhances that flavor of that chocolate kind of really pops out of that, of the uh, age rum. Um, So yeah, those are my two favorites so far uh, with the rums that I'm making. I mean, there's lots. I mean, I'm looking forward this month. That's all I'm doing is making cocktails. (laughs) Oh, rats. One of those months. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So a, a quick a quick note to my listeners. Um, one of the points that Elaine made about the daiquiri formulation is is actually really cool. Uh, so let's say you're at home, you've got a coupe glass, and let's say you make your daiquiri, and it goes right to the top, and it's a little bit uncomfortable to like it's 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 almost sloshing over. That the the amount of simple syrup that you use relative to whether it is a simple simple like a one to one or a rich simple two to one can actually have have a lot uh, a big impact on where the wash line mm-hmm. sits so um usually when i usually when i do um a daiquiri recipe i'll go something like two ounces and then three quarters of lime three quarters of a regular simple um or an ounce of lime and an ounce of regular simple but i, I love that you, you like you have this option with the daiquiri to just decrease the amount of water or double the amount of sugar relative to the water in that simple syrup. And just that, that little bit can really affect that wash line. So if you're at home and you're really trying to perfect a daiquiri, think about the concentration of your simple syrup. Um, and that can, that could really actually make a big difference in, in your wash line. So that's my little, um, hack of the day based on Elaine's awesome formulation. And I actually have a bunch of hot peppers growing right outside the window <laughs> here behind me. So, uh, I might have to pick a couple of jalapenos later today and, uh, give that and a try. And just a type because or else it overwhelms the rum. It's just like a slight, like one, if they're really hot, I only put like a half of jalapeno. Uh, if it's not, then it's like a full, like with the seeds. So you don't want it to overwhelm the rum. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the rich, simple syrup thing, it's not something in America that we use so much. It's something that European bartenders use all the time. It's like their natural go-to. They only use rich, simple syrup. And I understood, I was like, yeah, for your wash mm-hmm. line, exactly. That's such a great point because I would find my cocktails were too big. And I was like, if I just reduce the sugar, but that still got the concentration of flavor by making a rich simple syrup it made it all the better and then you can also for listeners you can also see like maybe you like your daiquiris a little drier if your if your rum's a little sweeter so mm-hmm. then just do a quarter round so rich simple syrups leave the lime juice just you know play mm-hmm. with your uh, acidity and your rum mm-hmm. but never take totally. down the rum it's definitely two to, to three ounces <laughs> just always um is the best way of doing it 
Yeah. Um, last last thing on on rums and daiquiris and the like, uh, I would highly recommend to anybody who's interested in the intricacies or nuances of the daiquiri, check out an article that uh, Dave Wondrich wrote for the Daily Beast called Plato and Aristotle Walk Into a Bar. It's this wonderful, wonderful analysis of the Caipirinha and the daiquiri uh, and the tea punch cocktails, like through the lens of the cultures where they came from. And basically he, he has like this really cool distinction between a platonic approach to cocktails and an Aristotelian approach to cocktails. And uh, we have a little summary of that. So I'll link to that in the show notes uh, for this episode over um, at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. So you can check out that article and then the little review that we did of it. But that's probably the most interesting article that I've read about cocktails in the past like year. Um, so I highly recommend that. Sounds it. good. I haven't even seen that one. I love the daily beasts and I read that all the time. I just love Dave Wondrich because his, yep. if you want to know anything about his history, just <laughs> Dave Wondrich, just verify it through Dave and make sure it's true. Whenever exactly. you Google anything, I just Google Dave Wondrich and a historic fact. And I'm like, if Dave didn't say it's true, then it might not be. Right, right. So I've got the barrel-aged rum here. Could you speak a little bit about that term rested and what that means? Sure. So basically, um, it's rested because, I guess, rested. How do you, I describe rested? So, you know, this rum is is placed in a barrel that used to house uh, Jack Daniels in it. Um, I actually asked Stiller, I said, why, you know, that barrel itself? Uh, and they said, you know, why not, you know, an ex-Jim Beam barrel? Because you do see Jack Daniels barrels all around the world. Uh, and mostly because they had the most of them because they're one of the biggest producers of whiskey out there. Uh, so everybody was buying them. And but the second thing he said, it's not just because they're available. He said it's also because Tennessee whiskey is filtered before it goes into the barrel itself. So to be a Tennessee whiskey, as you know, it has to go through the Lincoln County process, making it a sweeter, lighter style of whiskey. So it doesn't impact the barrel as much. Uh, so, cause they didn't want to pull the whiskey flavor out. They just want to use the, the, the whiskey, the barrel itself, pull a little bit of whiskey notes, but more about the, like the vanillas and the coconut you generally get mm -hmm. from uh, a whiskey barrel, an American oak barrel. So they, uh, rested just means it's just not in there for a very long time. So basically it is placed in the barrel. They didn't want to pull too much wood. As you know, the, the warmer an environment is, the more wood you're going to extract in a faster period of time. So they just want to add a little more complexity. They want to soften out the edges. They want to pull some more of that vanilla. And when you smell that, I mean, you do get those dry like cacao notes and a little bit of vanilla and just kind of add mm -hmm. some nuances uh, to the rum itself. So basically, it's just it's just rest. It's rested between eight and 10 months. Um, so I think when the term gets past that, it's like, you know, it's like when it really starts to get aged, it's like, you know, one year, two years, three years, it's really uh, deep into the aging process, depending on where you are in the world. If you're in Scotland, it's like 15 years. <laughs> Can be. Right. And I think that's, that's something that a lot of folks overlook. Um, a good example, uh, I was in New York, I think about a year ago, last June, and uh, I went to the Polynesian and had some lovely cocktails there. And while I was sort of waiting for my friends to finish up their drinks, uh, I said, well, they've got a pretty cool like selection of curated rums. Let me try something that's 20 years or it was like 20 or 25 years old, just just a little poor. Uh, and, you know, in the American consciousness, you, you, you see these scotches on the shelf with, you know, if it starts with two, it's going to be a hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars um, for a bottle. 
And, you know, with, with rums, you get something up to that level. It's not equivalent. You can't just compare a 20-year aged scotch with a 20-year aged rum. So I think that's why I really wanted to dig into that idea of barrel rusted because the humidity and the heat, intensity of the heat down in Belize, in these, these countries that are kind of um, near the equator, it's just doing something completely different than something that's up in Scotland or even something that's in, you know, Kentucky or Tennessee. You know, we get hot weather in Kentucky and Tennessee, but it's still nothing compared to the climate of, you know, Belize or Cuba or Jamaica or any of these rum producing countries. So I would just, I would caution people about trying rums that are super aged because we don't really know what that means. As Americans, we don't really have a concept for it. And I haven't been all that impressed by super hyper aged uh, aged rums in the past. So I, I like the idea of resting. I like the idea that you're imparting the barrel notes as opposed to the whiskey notes. Um, obviously, there's some mixing in there, but um, I think this is beautiful. And I'm definitely pulling out some of those cacao, vanilla, and I get like a peppery backbone here that's really nice. Yeah, it's a very dry rum. It's because they add nothing else. I mean, a lot of rums add a little bit of sugar at the end. We add nothing, right? So it's just mm -hmm. a sugar cane juice. It's just yeast and it's just water. No extra sugars added. So for an aged rum, aged rums tend to be a little can be a little richer. This is a very dry aged rum. So if you're into like you don't want a sweet rum, this is like a dry, like very dry, like a little bit of vanilla, little cacao, a little complexity from the wood. And also the other thing about the heat is like the amount of humidity, how much product actually evaporates so much faster. So the evaporation, the angel share is so much more. So they can't let it sit or else you're in a very controlled, you know, warehouse. So the more it evaporates, the higher concentration of flavors because the alcohol, less water, the water and the alcohol evaporates and get a higher concentration of flavors and the proof goes up. So, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of things to aging. We could sit and do an entire podcast on it. <laughs> For sure. I take it or leave it. Uh You'll probably leave it because I'm I'm not a I'm not a marketer, but uh, I think maybe you should call it instead of the angel share, you should call it the howler monkeys share because you've got the howler monkey right on the bottom and he's up in the trees. So as it evaporates, <laughs> it goes up into the trees, and the howler monkey gets gets a little. You, tipsy. You're trying to say there's a drunk bunch of drunk howler monkeys out there in the world. <laughs> I, I don't know. I haven't been there. I'd have to go and uh, investigate. So maybe, yeah. uh, maybe once you guys get down there and investigate, you should uh, go you know, test get out me the down there and I'll, I'll verify. That sounds good. I, I like it. I look forward to seeing the drunk collar monkeys. It'll be even better. <laughs> well, this has been an awesome little tasting. I, I love when I get to taste two products that kind of share a terroir, uh, especially when I can do an age versus unaged comparison. I think it really gives me uh, a good sense of, of the, the line. Um, can you tell us uh, a little bit about how the rollout is going here in the U.S.? What states uh, is this rum available in? Uh, where can we expect it to go uh, if all goes according to plan? Uh, so right now, I don't know the exact, to be honest with you, I don't know the exact plan. Uh, we haven't gotten that far yet, but I do know it's available here in New York. It's definitely here. It's available in uh, Florida uh, and it is available in uh Southern California. Um, so I believe, you know, I think we're, and we're also available in other countries. I believe uh, the UK and Germany uh, and a few other countries that I definitely know. Uh, so it is, uh, you know, right now we're kind of, we're still kind of building out. I don't want to talk out of turn, but for what I know my involvement is, is that we are now going to just build awareness of the brand. 
uh, in the markets that we are in, um, planning for the future of expanding slowly across the country. Um, and Julie and I are going to be really working with the team to educate people about rum, educating people about rum cocktails, uh, using our platform to bring bartenders uh, from all sorts of backgrounds uh, onto our Instagram Live so we can give people a platform uh, that might not always have one, which is really important to Julie and I is be able to use art. We realize we have a platform and, and Kampali is giving us one. And it's like, wow, we could help other people come onto our platform. So that's their main goal is to just continue the education of rum, uh, continue getting people to love the brand and be able to support the community as much as we can. Um, and what, you know, yeah, totally. So that's that's our that's our goal. I do know that they are looking at uh, one of the products we didn't talk about here, and I'm getting it tomorrow. I haven't tasted it, but it's the cacao. It's the yeah, it's the Kapali cacao because there's also cacao grown in Belize, so it was a natural fit. So they have cacao Kapali down in Belize, and I heard that a bottle is coming my way tomorrow. So I'm excited to taste that. Mm. Yeah. So, so is that like an infused rum or is that a rum liqueur? No, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's actually not a rum liqueur. It's going to be, in a, I believe, I don't know if the technical term would be infused, but it's definitely going to have cacao, fresh cacao within it. So uh, whatever, I don't know how, mm -hmm. I don't know the production process just yet, but I'm excited. I think once I get it, then we're going to do a training on it. So that's kind of exciting. You know, what's interesting is um, I was actually at that same time when I was in New York and went to the Polynesian, I was there for a trade show called the Fancy Food Show, helping out one of my friends who uh, has a shrub brand. And um, somebody came up to our table talking about cacao. Apparently the pulp. Oh, I actually have the answer. Oh, go ahead. So they are introducing, uh, I know they are introducing a new product, uh, which is uh, the Kapali cacao. So they grow organic cacao on the farm and they've been making chocolate for years. Uh, so they infuse the cacao into the column rum. Uh, so the column still rum for about one week. And then they put it into the pot still, uh, which are, then is redistilled. So it's actually distilled into the rum itself. Oh, that is so yeah. cool. I imagine that might be messy to clean, but uh, still very, very cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would I believe it is too. But uh, well, I guess it's like cacao beans and I guess maybe there's, yeah. Mm. But yeah, so that is the cacao rum, which I'm going to get to taste tomorrow. So I'm very excited. That is really cool. I had never thought of cacao as a quote unquote botanical in that way before, where you do like an infusion, almost like the... Uh, the French style um, liqueur thing where you'll you'll infuse almost like a genipe you'll infuse you'll distill and and then you'll you'll reinfuse or something like that I, I I just love that concept and I had never thought of cacao as sort of like an option for distilling after infusion I think that's such a cool and innovative way to do it so that's very exciting I'm very very neat to see that um, that the line is expanding beyond these two offerings so. That's awesome. We've got two products here, a third on the way to kind of build out the Copali line. Uh, is there anything that you want to tell us um, besides what we've already gone through um, before we jump into lightning round questions here? This has been super fun. So I just wanted to make sure it's like, you know, one of the things I really love about this product and it's why I'm so excited and, and what I think really makes it unique, um, you know, is the fact that it is a sustainable distillery, and that was their goal from day one. It's like they, we want to be zero, uh, zero impact. Uh, the fact that they use are able to reutilize their waste 
uh, in ways that are good for the environment. So they take the, the cane after it's crushed and they burn that and they take that steam to generate to power the stills. Uh, then they take the, the byproduct of distillation and they process it and they use it as fertilization. Um, the fact that they are all about giving back to the Belizean community. If you go on their website, it'll talk about all the things they're doing for uh, education, educational grants, supporting the schools. Uh, you know, their, their philanthropy work is, inc is incredible. Uh, and the fact that it's just three ingredients and no extra sugar made, you know, this is things that not everybody, you know, can claim about their own products. So it is, I think, just something really cool and unique. And also they don't charge a lot. It's a very reasonably priced rum. Um, I believe the, the white rum here in New York retails for like under $22, which is pretty fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, it's affordable. Uh, they're giving back and it tastes good. So <laughs> all these things are just a reason why you can feel good about buying the brand. And I feel good about standing behind the brand. Yeah. I was thinking that this white rum based on how delicious it is, was going to be, you know, somewhere in the $30 range. So to know that I can go pick up this, a, it's a beautiful bottle. It looks great on your bar cart. Um, so to be able to pick this up for that amount of money is, is super exciting, very appealing. And, uh, I, I'd actually, you know, if you're uh, a whiskey drinker or, you know, somebody who's into darker, boozier cocktails, obviously, you know, try out the barrel rested. But if you're a cane person like I am, if you're just interested in cane and the different flavor profiles it can have, I, I would really recommend the white. I think it's I think it's a really beautiful um, flavor. And um, I think it's I think it fits in a perfect place between those super funky rums and also like the really subtle white rums that are on the market right now. So I think not only does it does it fill a gap, but it, it does so uh, with style. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is kind of like the stepping stone to the, the really funky rums. It's like smack right in the middle. It's a perfect balance. Great way of saying it. Yeah. So, Elaine, ready for some lightning round questions? Absolutely. All right. This is a little intimidating uh, in terms of having to ask this <laughs> to the, uh, the former uh, Diageo head mixologist, but uh, what's your favorite cocktail? And if you don't have a favorite of all time, uh, what's something you've been more recently obsessed with? All right, so this is actually a two part. So my favorite cocktail is a martini, but like that's like at the end of every day, I have a gin martini with my husband, Philip. Uh, and that's like my favorite. Uh, but if I'm on my roof or on my terrace or my balcony, as I like to call them, which is my fire escape, I will say <laughs> I like something a little more tropical and I drink daiquiris. So a Kapali daiquiri on my terrace. Very, very <laughs> nice. Uh, what's your martini ratio? Are you uh, two to one? Are you a four to one? Uh, How do, what's I, your spec? I, I, two and a half ounces of a London dry gin, half an ounce of a dry vermouth, a couple of dashes of orange bitters. And depending on the day, some days I'm a twist. Some days I like my onions. So I, uh, but yeah, mm. that is my proportions of choice. I love it. I love it. Beautiful. If you were a cocktail ingredient, what would you be and why? Bitters. I would totally be bitters because bitters are the most versatile. They come in so many different flavors. You know, it's like you need a whole bunch of them. You can transform any drink just by a couple of dashes. Like bitters to me are like the perfect wardrobe. It's like you just have to have the right assortment of stuff and you can transform any day. <laughs> or any cocktail in this chance, so bitters. All right, cocktail with anybody in the world, past or present, who would it be, where would you go, what would you drink, just kind of paint us a picture. 
Okay, so if I could have a drink with anybody, past or present, I would have a drink. My favorite person is Trevor Noah. <laughs> I, I I adore I do I adore Trevor Noah. I I, I love his background. I love where he came from. Uh, if you ever uh, read his book called uh, "I Was Born a Crime," uh, I love his nuances, like of. Uh, how he talks about current news, but bring some nuance to it and bring some levity to it. So I would love to just sit with him at his house, you know, or if he, as if he has like an outdoors, like on some chairs, a bucket of beer and a bottle of like really good Reposado tequila and just drink shots of that and drink beer and just shoot the shit for hours. I'd be very happy. Very nice. Yeah. Trevor Noah, that's a new one, uh, but certainly a great choice. Um, all right. Moving on. What's a, a common or traditional cocktail ingredient that you've never tasted and why? I'd be honest with you. I meant to, I was like, I think I've tasted them all. <laughs> so I'm like, what's a common ingredient that I wouldn't have tasted? I went through like lists and I'm like, no, like guava. Like I hate guava. So it is a common ingredient. I have tasted it, but I would not, I don't ever want to use it. And I really hate Fernet. So I don't know if this counts, but yeah, that's one I was, I, I do not use in cocktails ever. So, uh, but I, I've drank everywhere in the world. There's really few things I've never tasted. <laughs> I know I'm getting more and more people where it's just like, ah, I got to change this question because everybody's had everything. <laughs> I really, I'm like, I really struggled and I was like, I really have had everything. I probably should have sent you a note, but I was just like, I could just tell you I've drank everything. And I really, what I don't like drinking is uh, I hate any cocktails with Fernet in them. So there mm. you go. So that's right. a common cocktail ingredient. Well, maybe you can, maybe this one will be a little easier to answer. What is an unusual or controversial view or belief that you hold in the spirits and cocktail space? I know this is also a struggle for me, but okay. So Many people probably would have an option with it. So I really believe, especially I believed it before COVID happened and I believe it now. It's like, I think even cocktail bars, I believe in the consumer and the consumer wants what they want. So I do believe in elevating their experience like in a cocktail bar and providing them unique cocktails. But we've all been in the cocktail bar where the guy next to you, like he looks at the menu, he's so overwhelmed and he just orders a vodka soda because he doesn't know. So the same thing is happening. There's now all these hard seltzers there in the marketplace. So I do believe that bars should have a like a heart, like a menu of canned cocktails and hard seltzers. Now everybody has to go cocktails. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about like having a, like one or two white claws on your menu, picking out, you know, some tequila sodas, some canned cocktails, and just having a small menu, like six. And it's, I think it's easy, it's simple. You just bang them out in the bar. You can send them with your drinks. No must, no fuss. The consumer wants them. Uh, but I think a lot of people would be like, yeah, no, that's just not our style. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, most cocktail bars wouldn't blink twice at having like a sort of domestic lager on their menu. Uh, so the question right. would be like, why are, do you feel threatened? You think uh, you think the truly is, is going to is going to threaten your cocktail program? That's an interesting take. Uh, I'll have to think about that because I am sort of a troll when it comes to RTDs. Uh, I'm I'm the guy at ADI who says, no, this tastes like aspartame. Why are you saying it's crushable? Uh, on the other hand, <laughs> that's your take is very interesting. So I'm going to have to think about that and uh, maybe revise my own views. So thank you for uh, for that take. 
Well, and, and if you're curious, I have a uh, Instagram account called Ready to Drink Life, and I review canned cocktails every week, like uh, hard seltzers and ready and uh, canned cocktails. So I have a very distinct uh, view about this. But yeah, so I just just my view controversial, but there you go. Beautiful. Well, Elaine, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for sharing, uh, obviously, all of the amazing uh, work that Copali is doing in both liquid and sort of philanthropic form. Thank you for sharing your expertise. And um, could you just, as we sign off here, give people all the ways to find you in the digital space, including, of course, your podcast. Yeah, so thank you. Uh, I'd love to. So uh, you can find me uh, on Instagram. I have my at Duff on the Rocks uh, Instagram account. You can follow me there. I also have my website called DuffOnTheRocks.com. And then I also have my podcast, which I do weekly with Jason Luttrell, called The Industry Distilleds, which you can find if you mm -hmm. want to see our faces. We're on Facebook Live. We do a Facebook we record it every week, uh, but anywhere our podcast is. And then if you are into canned cocktails and hard seltzers, I review them weekly uh, at Ready to Drink Life. So that's, that's where you find me. Beautiful. Well, Elaine, once again, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is really a lot of fun. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed, excellent rum and sustainability insights courtesy of Elaine Duff and Copali Rum, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production copyright 2020.